And I think where it comes to trigger warnings, that's really what's happened because at the end of the day, life doesn't give us trigger warnings. It can't, it won't. And a lot of professionals, I find pussyfoot around this topic because most of us got into this field because we have big hearts. I think what has developed is that in this in this realm of let's be respectful around feelings and people's struggles, we have accidentally created a bigger problem, which is now people feel entitled to be handled with delicacy. And that backfires. This is Meredith For Real, The Curious Introvert, and I'm Meredith. Here, we explore the taboo questions people think but don't ask out loud. Questions that need nuanced answers unavailable even to Google. These are the conversations you thought you'd never get to have. And the goal? To inspire curiosity within yourself and the world around you. Each episode is totally different, so bring your ADD and your earbuds and have a look around. This week, we ask the taboo question, are trigger warnings helping us heal or making us delicate? It's a question easily explored by those with few significant traumas, of course, but it becomes a conversation that carries a lot more weight when coming from someone who is an incest survivor and a mental health professional, like my guest. We explore why your body even triggers you, the less obvious triggers like a blue truck driving by, and the one ingredient critical to healing and how you can truly support somebody with trauma. If you end up liking this episode, you'll also like the one I did with a philosopher about virtue signaling, its link to narcissism, and how you can know if you're accidentally doing it. It's episode 136. And lastly, if you've enjoyed a couple episodes of the show, it would be so awesome if you could tap those stars on the Apple Podcast app. I know that leaving a full-on review can feel like the essay assignment you did not ask for, so don't worry. Just leaving a star rating helps a ton. All right, friends, keep it curious. Have you ever watched or heard something that had a trigger warning at the start of it? It might be easier to take a show of hands for those who haven't seen one. Trigger warnings are pretty common practice now, but as the perceived need for their use becomes wider, it's unclear if this is a helpful tool or a practice gone overboard. My next guest is a licensed professional counselor, chemical dependency counselor, and a professional psychotherapist. She's also an incest and abuse survivor. Today, she's going to talk about healing. As we ask the question, are trigger warnings helping us heal or making us fragile? Insightful healer, soulful Sherpa, fellow introvert and podcaster, Nikki Eisenhower. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. That was a beautiful introduction. I'm super excited to spend some time with you today. Yeah, me too. I'm so excited to talk about this because as mental health is health, that concept has entered into the mainstream. So has the number of mental health practitioners who kind of like tiptoe around topics and present their media content in in a way that always has this, you know, excessive, it feels, trigger warning. And it makes me wonder, like, is it helpful or is it harmful? But what I appreciate about your approach to all subjects is that you're just so straightforward. And I think for my audience, that will be a really refreshing way to explore the topic of mental health. I'm excited to do that with you. And when it comes to triggers, it's really, really tricky because for the for mental health professionals and for the general population, because 
everything about trigger warnings is really meant with the best of intentions. And, you know, I was raised Catholic, no longer, but we have a saying that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I think where it comes to trigger warnings, that's really what's happened because at the end of the day, life doesn't give us trigger warnings. It can't, it won't. And a lot of professionals, I find pussyfoot around this topic because most of us got into this field because we have big hearts. I think what has developed is that in this in this realm of let's be respectful around feelings and people's struggles, we have accidentally created a bigger problem, which is now people feel entitled to be handled with delicacy. And that backfires. It absolutely backfires. So how do you see people misuse the word trigger? Okay, so let, let's define it. So trigger comes from post-traumatic stress literature, okay? And I am someone who thought I would have chronic post-traumatic stress from the way that I grew up, having an abuser in the home, having my biological father abandoned. My mother is, by my estimation, a sociopath. Every sociopath is a narcissist. When you grow up with chaos and trauma, we have so many triggers, so many triggers, and our triggers are very, very nuanced. If we have different experiences, like something like a car accident that's very traumatic, very easy to see the obvious triggers there. Yeah, the next time that person goes to get in a car, they're going to be triggered by getting into a car because their trauma was associated with an automobile accident. When our trauma is our childhood, it means that we have triggers attached to so much. We have triggers attached to even good things happening. Because for someone who grew up with a lot of chaos and a lot of abuse and neglect, when a good thing happens, it's not a purely good thing. It's when is this next bad thing going to happen? And so we actually have good things that can trigger our anxiety. Trigger is really a good word for it. It's what triggers, what brings on, what, what cultivates a response in the body. Now, triggers are what's happened in this trying to make things easier on people uh, dynamic is that we've forgotten why we have those triggers in the first place. The example I give a lot of times is, let's say you got bitten by a dog when you were a kid. Obvious trigger would be you're scared of dogs. Okay, we all kind of get that. You don't need a psychology degree or in this field to understand that, right? Like that person's going to be a, a little more hesitant with dogs, maybe have some anxiety response around dogs unless they really work through making peace with those dogs. That's the obvious trigger. Now, let because of how our psychology works, that we are not consciously aware of everything that our minds are picking up. By design, we couldn't be. We would all go nuts. We would all feel fried if we consciously picked up every single thing around us. So let's say if when you got bitten by that dog when you were a kid, let's say a blue truck passed by right when you got bitten. That might be a subconscious trigger. And the triggers are our nervous system associating something dangerous, something scary with a stimuli in an attempt to warn us. So we don't get triggered just to be exhausted and anxious and feel fragile and delicate in the world and exhausted by the world. Those triggers are our own safety system going, hey, girl, a dog has hurt you before. Warning, warning, warning. There's a dog coming. So there's working with those obvious sort of bold face triggers. OK, but there's also 
the triggers that we're not consciously aware of. So the person that got bitten by the dog and the blue truck passed by right at the moment, our minds will grab a detail like that and log it in because something traumatic is happening. And we'll tell our bodies, oh, this bad thing happened. You got really hurt. And because this is just a warning system of gathering information for the whole rest of my life, I might feel a little uneasy when a blue truck passes by and never consciously understand why or what that is. So we have to be able to understand triggers and work on triggers consciously. And we also can understand that we may have some subconscious triggers like that truck. We can also have emotional triggers that are very, very hard to nail down. For a lot of highly sensitive people who grew up with neglect or immature parents, one of the triggers is not feeling important. How do you give a trigger warning to somebody about them maybe not feeling important? You, you, you can't. Right. So we can only really give the trigger warnings to the big, bold, obvious things like, hey, if you were uh, bitten by a dog, I'm about to bring a big old dog into this room. And so I think we're, we're blurring the line between conscientiousness and trigger warning. If I know you were bitten by a dog and my big 80-pound dog is about to come into the room, as a conscientiousness, I may say, hey, Meredith, I know you're a little iffy about dogs. Like that's a real conscientiousness between two human beings that are caring and compassionate and reasonable with each other. Somehow that has gotten expanded and blown up to where we're harmful people if we don't give that trigger warning. Right. Yeah. And another word that I feel is used very frequently, and I'm not sure to what accuracy is the word trauma. How do we know if something is actual trauma within ourselves? Well, it's so interesting you asked me that because my husband who produces my show is asking me to define what trauma is and isn't. And this is, again, like triggers. Like a lot of things in mental health that I speak on, I don't think that we can nail down the human condition in, in a finite way, in, in a way with specifics and testing science the way that people want, because this human condition is just too complicated. I think one of the worst things to happen to actual real trauma in the past 10 years is that almost everyone online will use the word trauma for anything. Mm -hmm. and. In an attempt to be caring and considerate of people who have trauma histories, we have sort of watered it down so much that we're actually disrespecting and disregarding people with actual trauma histories. Oh, wow. Right. That's really Younger generation in college. So colleges started doing this trigger warning stuff and started teaching um, kids in college that they are entitled to a trigger warning that that's what being a good person is. And what's happened is this vitriol that if you're not doing that, like these people just decided this is the right way. Like I've been in the field of mental health for 17 years. Nobody pulled me and asked me, should we have trigger warnings on everything? Because I would have said no, because the intention that paves that road to hell in wanting to take care of that person accidentally entitles that person. It encourages that person to feel entitled to that trigger warning. And then guess what happens when they don't get it? They feel victimized, they feel wounded, they feel delicate, and they feel like the victim of a conversation or a teaching. That is very drama-filled. It's very histrionic. It's very immature. And so I believe part of what we're seeing out there in, in the modern world 
is immaturity at a level that we have not dealt with. And this trigger warning stuff, as kooky as it is for me to connect this, I believe it's part of it because we have generations of children entering adulthood, coming out of college as adults who feel so delicate that they can't handle what's going on in the world. So I'm a bit miffed at my field for not taking a beat to back step and take this back and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is backfiring. We initially started these trigger warnings to try to help people in trauma history, but it's not working. It's making the population more delicate. The truth about an actual trauma survivor is that they're the toughest people you'll ever meet. There's something called trauma-informed. It's something that has been taught, very popularized. I don't like it as a trauma survivor. I have been in groups with other professionals, and they piss me off because they treat me like I'm delicate. Mm. I find it incredibly insulting and dismissive. The worst thing that you can do for a trauma survivor is treat them like they're delicate because it encourages them to go into their wounding more and dig that wounded hole deeper instead of crawling out of the woundedness hole standing outside of that hole and going, wait a minute, look how strong I am. When we're trying to define trauma, okay, it's tricky, 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 okay? Because if I was hurt as a child and sad and my mother just walked past me without looking at me, that's neglect. Neglect is a form of trauma. Now, I'm in my 40s. If 20 people walk past me like I don't matter and they look through me, I want to have cultivated as a healthy adult enough resiliency, enough self-sufficiency, enough not taking other people's actions personally to not have that tear me up. My mother would walk past me and treat me like I wasn't important. Now all these other people are traumatizing me. We We have to let go of that. And we have to know that trauma is nuanced and delicate when we're children. Things that would traumatize us at four years old and six years old and 10 years old frankly, has no business traumatizing you at 16, 20, 25, 30, and 40. And something is missing in these teachings where I'm seeing people that are 35 that are wounded by things that really, in an age-appropriate way, make sense that would wound them at six years old. They have not developed enough resiliency, enough bounce to deal with real life. So how do you help somebody who kind of gets stuck in that six-year-old mindset, to use your example, mature in such a late stage of life, like in their 30s or 40s and beyond? How can a person make that shift from creating victimhood as an ingrained part of their identity to something that they can look at in almost a third-party lens and build strength from it? So here's what's really tricky and what's really sad. The only people that I can help are people who have insight. When people grab victim mentality, and there's a time and a place, the way that I put it is, like in my own story, like Meredith mentioned at the beginning of the show, listeners out there, that I have some severe trauma history. Getting sexually abused by someone who's supposed to be a safe parent in your home is up there on the trauma scale. There's a time and a place where if we were traumatized, we have to deal with being victimized. But that needs to be a season that we move through and get to the other side of. Part of this trauma warning stuff is teaching people to stay in the trauma. You have to acknowledge being victimized, but you don't want to buy real estate in the victimhood. It's a shitty place to live. (laughs) It's true. And so we have to know that difference as professionals. And this is a sad truth right now. I would say many professionals in mental health don't know the difference between helping someone 
gets through the victimization phase and they accidentally, in trying to support them, help them buy real estate in that victimhood. This is how personality disorder develops. And when we talk about personality disorders like narcissistic personality disorder, there's a martyrdom part of that complex. Women tend to lean into that. And so when we stay too long in that, I'm the victim, I'm the victim, it starts to cycle on itself. That's why, Meredith, when you don't give me my trigger warning, then I'm the victim of that too. Mm. And then if you don't handle me the right way, then I'm the victim of how you're handling me. And so this victim thing starts to, to behave in our lives almost like we're standing in one spot, just digging this victim hole, digging this wounding deeper and deeper and deeper. The truth is you can't get out of holes if they get too deep. And each of us is responsible whether we know it consciously or not. This is part of why I have a show because it, it breaks my heart that we could basically help people make a choice in their life to walk a path towards healthiness. Some people will miss that exit and they will continue and live forever in their victimhood. The difference is insight, but it is a thing that we cannot measure, we cannot study in any kind of scientific way. And again, that's part of my beef, because how do we help people with this human condition if everything has to be studied with science and be evidence-based when so much of the human condition, in my view, cannot be? So how do we help somebody? Talking somebody out of their own victim mentality is very, very difficult. They need the insight. And insight, all it is, is it's the ability to look inward. I suspect, just like with my show, that many of you listening to Meredith's, to your show, have insight because we are the creatures on the planet that are very curious. We want to change. We want to evolve. We feel called to evolve beyond our younger selves, beyond our younger problems. Whatever that calling is, Anybody who has it knows damn good and well. You don't hear anybody name it, but look out at the world. There is a stark difference between people who are complacently living their lives and those that are evolving past their struggles, beyond their struggles. That difference is insight. It's the ability to look inside of yourself and go, oh, wait a minute. I don't like my own behavior there. Or wait a minute. I don't like how I responded there. Wait a minute. I lashed out at somebody. That's yeah. not how I want to live. And then we put effort towards figuring out why we had that behavior. There's a personal responsibility element. And one of the things, if we are to heal in this life that I'm a big believer in is I am not responsible for what happened to me as a child, but I am damn well responsible for the effects of it because there are no white knights that are going to ride up and save me. I have to save myself. And when we're in this, this mindset of that was too hard for me. I should have gotten a trigger warning. To me, that is such a, I'm sorry for this term, but I don't have a better like clinical term. To me, that's like a circle jerk of healing. You're not doing any <laughs> healing at all. You were just spinning around between now I'm the victim of that and now I'm the victim of that. If there is a phrase that I could eradicate from the planet, like if I had magical superpowers, it would be, but it's so hard. It's a way we lie to ourselves, and trigger warnings is one of them. Yeah. I think we need, uh, first of all, T-shirts made that say circle jerk of victimhood because— Get out of the circle jerk of victimhood. That's kind of amazing. Um, and second of all, I, I, I love what you're saying about observing your own behavior, and I love the word insight. I also like the word anthropology because I have found with my own uh, 
observations that if I treat them in an anthropological way, meaning like I pretend that I'm wearing a National Geographic adventure hat, (laughs) but I'm like, wow, that was a really interesting response to that stimulus. Wonder, wonder what caused that. And then, you know, going from there and it kind of um, creates permission to dig in and and in a way, (laughs) I think it creates a safe place for that curiosity to to happen. I have something else that I wanted to run by you that I'm pretty sure I made up and I need you to tell me if this is a real phenomenon. And the reason I want to bring it up is because it may be helpful to someone listening because presumably the people that are engaging with this right now are those who are curious, who are ready to put into action the insights and the lessons that they're going to learn from episodes like these, right? So I have called it seated trauma, and it's when someone's life experience has shaped them in a way that their baseline of just survive to like threats and stressors is no longer present so that they seed conflict and they seed threats and stressors in order to feel normal. Is that a thing or is it truly a thing in my head that I made up? I'll give you an example. I know a couple of people like this, but one person in particular, she had always had some drama in her life. There was always some problem with her. Um, and there was like an illness or a family conflict or she couldn't pay rent or it was just always something. And then whenever she would make changes in her life where things would be calm and I'd be so happy for her, like now she's not in that job. Now they, they bought a home. They won't be at the whim of the renter or whatever. It was okay. like she made new conflict because yeah. that her baseline was drama and there, there's another person who did this, and it was in a relationship con, uh, context. And so when I say seated conflict, that's what I mean. It's like they just can't uh, be yeah. happy with peace, and it seems like it's another way to recycle victimhood. 100%. Right on. Yeah. I am of the belief, and I don't believe any other professionals are talking about this like this. You read that I have an addiction specialty. I am of the opinion that the last 20 years of the internet has done this. Plus, if you have childhood trauma, it's like a double whammy. People can be addicted to drama. Mm -hmm. And we are creatures of pattern. And so one of the really sad things, if you come from a dysfunctional family, and, and I've had to face this in my own life, it is not fun to face it. But if you live in drama every day of your life because of the family you were born into, you think your system, your subconscious, like I was talking about earlier, we're not conscious of everything, expects drama because that's been the pattern. And we are such creatures of pattern. Like I know so few people now know how to drive a stick, but like I know how to drive a <laughs> stick. And if I drive a stick and drive an old stick and then I get in an automatic, I know damn good and well I'm in the automatic. I can consciously be telling myself I'm in, now I'm in the automatic car and my foot is going to reach for that pedal at least 10 or 20 times because my subconscious learns more slowly than my conscious mind. So just because I say I'm in the different car now, my body, my subconscious is still operating Mm -hmm. that vehicle that I was driving even for those few days. That's such a good message for people to be patient with yourself as Mm -hmm. you cognitively become aware of, you know, the, the hiccups and the obstacles 
that are keeping you from total wellness and yes. your your operational hard drive from catching up to what your brain knows. And that's part of why people using the word trauma so cheaply mm-hmm. is a problem because it's not just like you were in a car accident and need to like do some phobia work about getting into the car. If you grew up with drama and chaos and instability, your system is likely addicted in a subconscious way to trauma. And if people don't have the insight, there's insight again, to look inward and go, wait a minute, why is there this messed up pattern where I finally get to stable ground and then I make a choice that destabilizes me? What is going on? I don't want that for my life. That, that's why, to me, true healing takes personal responsibility because you have to be able to own that to be able to change your relationship with that in a subconscious way. It's part of why I'm so passionate about inner child work. That sounds so hokey and ridiculous to so many people at first. I get it because the people who need and will benefit from inner child work the most are the ones that weren't handled or spoken to as children appropriately. So they have the biggest eye roll (laughs) to hearing inner child work. That inner child work gives us the opportunity to reparent that inner part of ourselves that's stuck with some of those messed up things we accidentally learned. When we heal, we're learning how to not attract manipulators, but also how to not manipulate ourselves. I think it's a a sad, unfortunate, well-intended manipulation that people need trigger warnings. Hmm. Hey, Curiositors, just a quick pause to show gratitude to our sponsors and give you some special deals. It's that time of year for front porch pumpkins and football barbecues, but here in the southern U.S., mosquitoes can still be an unwanted part of the equation. I've been using Insects Mosquito Service since 2019, and I love that they guarantee their work. And pollinators are always top of mind. Don't wait to get on their schedule. If you're in the Florida Panhandle or the Gulf Coast of Alabama, give Insect a call, E-N-S-E-C dot net. This time of year is my favorite time to travel, but just because the weather is cooler doesn't mean the need for hydration is not a thing. My husband and I have been using Liquid IV since 2019, and we love it as our airplane travel companion. We don't have to pack extra bulky drinks and certainly don't have to pay extra at the airport for them. Instead, we just bring a little packet that we can easily put in a water bottle and it has three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. I recommend the strawberry lemonade flavor. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code CURIOUS at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code curious at liquidiv.com. Don't pick another boring venue for your next work event. Check out one of the Pensacola Historic Trust 12 museums. If you watch the show on YouTube, you see the beautiful backdrop of Trader John's, the exhibit where I record the show inside the Pensacola Museum of History. Booking an event with the Trust will not just be memorable for your guests, it will support the efforts to keep Pensacola's historic charm preserved. And if you're planning a trip here and need an indoor activity option, pick up a ticket in person so you can show the agent one of my emails and get $2 off an adult ticket. Learn more at historicpensacola.org. Now back to the show. Remember to stay till the end where I give you a sneak peek of next week's episode. I want to ask you how we can support others who have had trauma because 
excessive trigger warnings are not helpful, um, but mm-hmm. in some ways they are, in some instances, obviously they are appropriate and welcome. Mm-hmm. Like one of the reasons that I set you up with the bullets of like your backstory in the intro is because I just, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, so um, Nikki, in a 40-minute friendly podcast format, can you please just disclose all of your trauma? Like, that's that's weird. And and so like the real life version of that is when you're talking to somebody and they maybe drop a little crumb of something that is hinting at some trauma. What's the best way in a conversational format to let people know that they have the floor and you're here to support them within keeping inappropriate boundaries and with keeping support of their actual healing and not, you know, not doing it wrong, basically? How do we actually help each other? Think about beams in a house. There are load-bearing beams and there are support beams, right? There are, there are beams in the house that carry the weight that cannot be removed. Each individual human being out there has got to be their own weight-bearing beam. And you're just the support. Mm. So you go into it like it is not your job as a friend or an acquaintance to carry the load for them. It's a load that they have to carry just like you have your real life grown up, pull up your big girl panties kind of things that you have to carry in your life. And so the idea is not to carry it for the survivor. Okay. So there's that. You're just a support beam. Sometimes survivors, depending on how much healing they've done so far, want their friends or their family members to be the load-bearing beam. When I teach boundaries every October, I teach this. It's This is my side of the street. You have your side of the street. And when we come together, we overlap. That's true of all people. If we're overlapping and we ourselves have trauma or somebody else has trauma, one of the the big tips I can give you is do not have pity. Do not have pity. There's not one human being out there unless they are a dysfunctional martyr who wants pity. We want empathy. Look at that person for their strengths. Wow, it's amazing that you've gotten through that. What do you want to share with me about that is a very different vibe than I don't know how you survived that. Mm -hmm. Gosh, it would just kill me. I'd lay down and die if that happened to me. We have a lot in our society that encourages being the victim. Being the victim is hot right now. I would say it is a cultural trend. So you also, as a human being in support, you get to evaluate. Is this person really in struggle or are they playing up this struggle? Because attention seeking is very um, paid off right now in our society. And if it's somebody that's just attention seeking, then it's on you to protect your energy. So see them as strong. Also know the boundary and it can never be a hard line. I wish there was some formula I could give you for this and most things in this life. I don't think there are hard lines. We want them. We want things to be all or nothing, black or white, because there's a simplicity to that. If somebody is all good, cool. If somebody's all bad, cool, because I can kick them to the curb. I don't have to deal with them. We struggle with human beings with the complexity and the nuance of everything in the middle. Support and listen. But if it starts to get too much for them or for you, help them find a therapist. Sometimes trauma survivors want to turn their friends into a therapist. And you'll know that if you feel that, if you feel really drained. When we're really helping somebody, there's a real deep truth. Really helping another human being actually energizes us. 
if we're getting really drained because somebody's story is real heavy, it's okay. There's a lot that I've had to learn to be able to support trauma survivors without re-traumatizing myself or carrying their pain as my own. If this is not your profession, you have every right to not just sit there and try to absorb what is too much for you to absorb or hear. And so you are helping them, even if they don't like it. I thought you were my friend. God, now I have to go pay some person to listen to me. You wouldn't even listen to me. You have to be able to, to hang in there for your own self and say, I am always willing to listen, but I want to make sure that you're getting the qualified care. And this feels too big for me. That's not telling somebody else, hey, you're too big of a problem. I don't want to deal with you. It's, hey, this is really big. And that's why there's professionals for this stuff. Let's find some books together. You know, do you want me to go to a first session with you if you're scared to go by yourself? Like, how can I help support you in being able to ultimately stand on their own two feet? Mm. That help helps you guys. I love Enabling that. helps somebody be more in their victimhood. And the truth is, even when you can't put your finger on what's happening or what was said or why, your gut, your intuitive gut knows because it feels good. It feels right. It feels like a yes in your body when you're actually helping somebody and it starts to feel icky. And it's not that, that the trauma is icky. It's that this is too much for this space or this person really needs some quality care, some systematic, um, strategic care that's outside of my wheelhouse. Support can't just be, hello, I am here to give you whatever you expect from me. Yeah, boundaries, which is the perfect yes. segue into um, sharing about your boundary course. But I, before you share about that and before we wrap up, I just want to thank you for addressing this, this taboo topic, this you know, thing that I think um, is expect, that we're expected to just go with in 100% agreement without questioning it. And I love how you laid out the ways that we can support ourselves and those around us, which ultimately makes for like, I mean, not to be a dramatic, but it makes for like a better society, right? When we can be helpful yes. and we can matchmake people to the professional help that they need and then support them along the way. So as we wrap, tell people where they can find you on Instagram. I mean, you got to tell them about your podcast and then definitely your boundaries course. And I know that's a lot, but all three are so good. Oh, thank you so much. My podcast is Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. And I have conversations just like I'm having with you right now. A lot of the shows are just me by myself sharing the story or sharing something to try to break down this complexity of the human experience in trying to make mental health and the human condition such a clinical pursuit or clinical understanding. We've lost a lot of what we need as human beings. And it's not rocket science, but it's it's profound. We're missing out on sharing stories. I think since the beginning of humanity, we have mostly passed down wisdom by sitting with each other and, and sharing stories like around the fire and not telling people what to do, but to really saying, hey, this is how I've done it. And this is what I've figured out. And then the next person in line gets to add their wisdom and their life experimentation and if we embody that more and more and more on the individual le level, I am a believer that that's really and truly how we ultimately heal society. So many sensitive people look out at the world and go, oh my goodness, how, what do I do to fix all of this? And if you let that go and you just look inward, 
at the end of the day, we aren't broken and we're learning how to navigate more so than fix. The world needs our differences, our individual differences, our quirks. That's kind of what my show is about, is breaking down a little topic and trying to bring more of this nuanced humanity that is just, it's more complex than what we want it to be. But being a human being has never been simple. <laughs> so every year, I teach the Boundaries course. We do four, four weeks. We spend six weeks together. We do four weeks of learning new material. Then I do two weeks of reviewing. And it's not a course like you've ever taken before. I'm an experiential teacher. And it's really going through the experience. One of the most foundational things we can do to understand ourselves, where we start and stop, and other people where they start and stop, so that we can relate with as much clarity and healthiness for ourselves and other people as we possibly can. Part of what I teach you in that course is a lesson I call how to light up for yourself. We have a triggers is tricky lesson because I don't ever want anybody coming to boundaries work thinking, aha, I will let my inner child drive the mm -hmm. bus of my life <laughs> and I'm going to just have enough boundaries to where I'll never get triggered again. It's actually the opposite. When we learn that we get to lean into our triggers, hey, that blue car that used to freak me out, and I don't exactly know why, but my subconscious picked it up when that dog bit me when I was 11, I'm going to lean in. I'm going to look at every blue car that passes me. I'm not going to have that weird feeling about a blue car for the whole rest of my life. I'm going to look at every blue car as an opportunity to go, hey, blue cars are totally neutral for me until blue cars actually start to feel neutral for you. We have so much power to not avoid our triggers, but to transform our relationship with them. And that is freedom. That is true healing. It's part of what I offer you in that course. I want you to not just learn like you would from a book. I want you to experience what I have laid out for you in this boundaries course so that you have the art form of communication inside of you. For boundaries or, or good mental health, it's about you embracing this work as an art form and you get to be the artist in your own life. If that interests you, if the way that we've had a conversation today interests you, just come check me out. It really, you'll, your gut will know if you're meant to spend some time with me and learn. And if it's a no for you, cool, go do your thing. But if it's a yes, I would love to meet you in October. And where can they find you? Where can they find the course? You can find me at emotionalbadass.com. You can find the Boundaries course at that address, emotionalbadass.com slash boundaries. You can sign up. We have a code for you to get a special discount, just Meredith's listeners. So if you're out there and you're a big fan of this lovely woman who does this amazing show, it's just Meredith and you'll save a hundred bucks off the course. And there are payment plans. And that's important to me. I try to keep the cost of what I'm doing low and offer it to more people out there because I really do want to spread this healing knowledge as far and wide as I can. And that's part of what the podcast and these types of interviews do for me. So you'll learn a lot about me if you come hang out with me and what has gotten me to a life where I no longer have post-traumatic stress. And it's from this foundational boundaries work. I try to give you my all. So come find me. Emotional badass is the easiest. Emotional badass is the way to find me. And light and love. Thank you, Nikki. This was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm always willing to talk about anything you would like. 
thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, you'll also like the one I did with a philosopher about virtue signaling. It's a link to narcissism and how to know if you're accidentally doing it. It's episode 136. And you know, they say word of mouth is still the best way to grow a podcast. So since you made it this far, now is a great time to take a screenshot and share about it on social media. Be sure to tag me. I'm at Meredith for real. Stay tuned next week when I talk with a wellness entrepreneur about how your body could have a secret wellness manual hidden in your DNA. 